This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 6, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. As we get ready for Saturday's division series to start, Bruce Baldwin, Taylor Schwink are back in Connecticut. How are you guys doing? Nervous, Buster. So nervous right now. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, I was going to ask you, like, paint a picture for me how you're going to watch the Orioles as they take on the Rangers. Like, what? You know, will you will you let Dolly, your dog, in the room? Will you keep her out because you're going to be, you know, shouting, going crazy? She's not going to understand. Is your wife just going to vacate the house? What's going to? How does that going to work? Yeah, so we've got some friends in town this weekend. Shout out to the the Olszewskis. and uh, my guy Zach is going to hang out with me with his son Rhodes and Dolly, and then the my wife Courtney and Carly. They are going to leave for four or five hours who knows but during that time we will watch the orioles game we'll watch in the basement we got we got to hit the liquor store today we got to stock up on beers buster you know who knows how this is going to go um but i am i'm very nervous and we got college football on too so there's gonna be a lot going on that i need to soak in do you have a lucky beer that you watch with a particular brand do you believe in that are you no something happens are you doing shots no, but I will wear. So right now I'm wearing kind of my everyday Orioles cap. I have one that I bought this year that I consider to be a little lucky. Um, you know, this yeah. hat's seen a lot of losing. So, you know, let's I'm going to wear the one that has seen more winning than not. But that's about as superstitious as I, as I get. So if the Rangers put up a three spot in the first inning, you're going to ditch the new one and go with the old one. No, no, that'll just mean like brown liquor has been introduced to the, the scenario here. But so let's, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't happen to get to that. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought for sure this is only going to be about the Orioles, but Bruce, but the Mets are going to met again. You know, yeah, that's exactly someone in the organization that. said to me uh, yesterday, you get news that Billy Epler, their general manager, stepped down, right, to clean the slate. Then we find out they're under investigation. What's up with that? I don't know. I was going to say the exact same thing you said. The Mets are going to met. It's always the tale as old as time. Mets are going to met. As I as I will stay consistent, though. I have something to look forward to with Kodai Sega and Francisco Alvarez. So, like, <laughs> hey, I'm happy. I'm sticking with it. I've said it all season. I'm sticking with my answer. There we can punch it in. Final answer. There we go. Yeah. 96 hours ago, it seemed like the Mets are going to move forward with David Stearns, head of baseball operations. Billy Epler is going to be his general manager. And then the baseball world is shocked yesterday by the news that Epler is stepping down at a time when Major League Baseball is investigating the Mets. And I'll be talking about why that is with Doug Glanville coming up. The Houston Astros announced that they will start the American League Division Series with Justin Verlander going in Game 1, Framber Valdez going in Game 2. And Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, talked about facing the Twins and former Astro Carlos Correa. Going to go with uh, Verlander and Framber. Last year, that five or six day off, we weren't totally spent, you know? I mean, we were as rested as you could be, you, you know, with the big lead, playing guys, doing the, but this time we had to play them all the way to the end. And, uh, you know, we were tired. And uh, just like they told me that, that the Braves were tired last year when they had to fight the Mets all the way to the end. Then when they started the playoffs, you know, they start a little tired. I mean, I'm, I'm ordinarily you wouldn't want those days off that many days off, but I think we needed them because I'm telling you, I mean, if we had to play Tuesday, my bullpen was upside down. Uh, my players were, were tired. I was tired. Yeah, I can't brag on it too much. 
You know, he's one of mine and my wife's favorite players. Uh, I think we played him. Didn't we play him in the playoffs last year too? Or we played him over there in uh, in uh, Minnesota. I think one game he, he was hurt and didn't play. So uh, we're not playing Carlos. We're playing the Twins. But be glad to see Carlos. Now, just to review Saturday's schedule, the Rangers and Orioles will start their game at 1 p.m. Eastern time. The Twins and Astros will start at 4.45 p.m. Eastern time. The Phillies and Braves, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And the Diamondbacks and Dodgers, 9.20 p.m. Eastern time. One other note, uh, the Padres uh, manager, Bob Melvin, who, you know, there have been some speculation whether or not he would return in 2024 because he and A.J. Preller are not best buddies, uh, spoke with the Associated Press, and he says he's excited to return to manage the Padres for next year. Peter Seidler, their owner, has come out and said he is confident in this management team, and he basically, in so many words, was telling uh, Preller and Bob Melvin, look, work it out and move forward uh, as the, the Padres try to rebound from a terrible 2023 season. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast. It's a Friday, so we do picks on Fridays, and uh, it's just Steve and Pete this week. Uh, Reese still, hopefully his voice is recovered for game day tomorrow, but a good episode, quick episode, which is always nice, too. And uh, I put on my finest Reese Davis impression as he was out, and that's the rule on the podcast. If you are out, then you are impersonated and mocked, so we did a good job of that. College Game Day podcast, watch it on YouTube. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Doug Glanville is an analyst for ESPN during the wildcard series. He worked the series between the Diamondbacks and the Milwaukee Brewers, and he'll be on ESPN radio for what I think is the best series, perhaps of the entire postseason, the Philadelphia Phillies facing the Atlanta Braves, Ali versus Frazier. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing great, you know, in Atlanta, getting ready for this great series. So um, I'm heading over to the ballpark a little bit later today. And um, yeah, Milwaukee, Arizona was it was a fun series. I mean, it was tough for the Brewers fans being home, but I uh, thought it was some fun baseball, big hits, you know, a lot of a lot of action. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the the Diamondbacks coming up, but first, I do think we should touch on the situation with the New York Mets. You know, I was talking with a yeah. person uh, under their umbrella yesterday 
and, and I was just trying to get information on what was going on with Billy Epler. And he goes, yeah, we just can't have a day where the Mets don't met. <laughs> like there's, there's always something with this team, you know, just a few days ago, uh, you had Billy Epler meeting with reporters, you know, alongside David Stearns. And I, you know, I've had conversations with Billy the last couple of years about the possibility that they would be bringing someone in to oversee head of baseball operations. We've been speculating about Stearns for a long time. I, I don't know how well you know Billy, but I had no doubt that he was going to work well alongside someone coming in. Like he's not an ego guy. Uh, and so, you know, I just assumed, okay, David Stearns comes in. Uh, Billy Epler would be very comfortable working as his number two and transitioning into that role. And then you have this whole thing about a major league baseball investigation about uh, misuse of the injured list, which just all of that makes me wonder, Doug, what's really going on? Because since I started covering baseball, you know, the manipulation of the injured lists, I, I mean, that that's not like a new thing. Like I'm wondering <laughs> what this is all a smokescreen for. That's the way it feels to me. And I don't know the answer to it. What was your reaction when you heard about this? Yeah, I mean, I was just following, you know, being in Milwaukee, I kept hearing rumors about Craig Council possibly being the manager. So I was hearing that. And then when I saw like Epler, you know, sort of steps aside and I, you know, I know David Stearns a little bit and it was like, okay, what's going on? And it was all so quickly, you know, with Brooke Showalter kind of announcing his retirement resignation or whatever that was. And um, it just seemed like the communication flowed really quickly and there was some centerpiece of that communication that everybody was trying to stick to, or they were just going to walk out the door. So I don't know, you know, what that means in terms of what the Mets are trying to do next, but, you know, they're kind of starting from bare bones without a GM, without a manager and, and just such a really tough, disappointing season. So, you know, it's a lot of rebuilding to happen. I mean, the talent's there, but now you got to get that culture where you want it. And how do you do that without two important leaders to your day-to-day operation? Yeah, what Billy said in his statement was he wanted to give Billy, or he wanted to give David Stearns a quote unquote clean slate. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, 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 I still want to know what's behind this because, and generally speaking, I know you don't know anything about the Mets' injury and uh, situation and how they use the list or didn't use the list, but generally speaking, would you agree with me? Like the idea that the manipulation of the injured list you know, is being investigated by Major League Baseball. I'm like, that That has gone on forever. You know, when you hear, yeah. you know, teams. And t- anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, we have a term we used to call phantom DL. I mean, back then it was, right. <laughs> it was literally called the phantom. And in fact, like I know when I was, you know, I got released at the end of my career by the Yankees. And, you know, there's a couple of teams, you know, that called some of which were for fraud offices. And, and one of the things like, I'm not going back to AAA. And I was at the end of camp. So teams had their rosters solidified in spring training by then. So it wasn't like I could just walk onto a team. And so that was like a conversation. Would you go to this like injured list? It's not really an injured list. You know, the, you know, you know, it's out there. And, um, you know, so it's just like, cause I'll be in the major leagues, but I'm not in the minor leagues, but I'm still like, you know, the sort of backup right there. And, and you just hear, you know, what other guys are injured? It's like, are they injured? Is it like, you know, sort of something they need to just take a break and figure out their curveball? Who knows, you know, so, um, and look more and more, you think of hockey, it's like, you know, upper body injury, you know, know, the starboard region of your left arm, you know, it's like, I don't even know what's going on. So they, uh, I know they maybe have some HIPAA kind of balance, but uh, it does seem like it's always gone on. 
Yeah, uh, and you'll see situations where a guy's struggling and suddenly they have shoulder tendonitis. And you know and I know, like, with all of your bodies, uh, you know, Eduardo Perez, our colleague, just, you know, has had surgeries on one knee and then he has surgery on another because everything breaks over time. Any player who's got any amount of time in professional baseball, you can find stuff if you want to put a guy on an injured list. And my perception is that teams have done that when a guy's struggling, right? Or they need a roster spot and they do that, which is why it's so ubiquitous uh, that I question if that's really what's going on with Billy Epler, you know, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there were, you know, was there a situation where a player said to the Mets, look, I'm not hurt. I don't want to go on the injured list. And they put them on there anyway. And then there's a complaint from the agent. Is that what's being? I don't know. But uh, the the use of the injured list is something that uh, has been going on for a long time. All right. So let's get to uh, the series coming up, the division series. I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you. Uh, and I hope you have fun with this because uh, I think it's going to be a tremendous round, you know, led by the games that you're doing with the Phillies and the Braves. Give me a favorite that you think is most in jeopardy in this round, the favorite, because the favorites, I think you would agree with me, the Orioles in the American League. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if, if uh, Las Vegas considers the Twins to be the favorite, but I think, uh, you know, because they're, they are, uh, you know, how they played this time, um, you know, maybe they would be a team that would be a favorite here. Maybe it's the Astros. The Dodgers are a clear favorite, and the Braves are a clear favorite, having you know had the best record in baseball. The favorite that's most in jeopardy. I mean, I worry about the Braves uh, just being here because you know their rotation. Like I'm sitting here waiting, like who's going to be their third starter, right? If they come up, you know, there's a lot of question marks and yes, the starting rotation is not as significant as it used to be because it's all about your bullpen. But if your starter goes two innings or three innings and you have to use six guys, five guys, all of a sudden you're in a different ballpark. Just something can break with that type of chain when you need that long of a chain. And, um, and look, the Phillies, you know, whatever, exercise those demons last year. You know? And I mean, I chased the Braves my whole career and all I did is see the back of their Jersey. So uh, they they have figured it out, and the the Phillies are just playing good baseball. They're as Rob Thompson said, they're built for a series play, and they have like twenty five starters. They have like a lefty, righty, a guy who can throw with his foot. They have like an invisible guy. I mean, how many starters do they have? And so they're they're gonna have to decide like who to, who not to keep. So they're very good in terms of matchup, and they have a deep bullpen. And uh, and if you get you know Schwarber decide to say I'm gonna hit home run today. Uh, that's like seven home runs in five at bats. That's what happened. So I just, I think the Braves, I mean, they're a great team and their offense is amazing, but we know what offense can do. Offense gets a little funny and all it takes is three. You only have to win three out of five, you know, wild things that happen. And with a day off in between and all that stuff, it could be really interesting. So, uh, I, you know, I think the Braves are the cream of the crop, but they're also, because of that, they're also vulnerable. And I think the Phillies pitching staff, you mentioned, you know, the depth of it and the the different guys who do different things. I, I think it's potentially a huge advantage for them in this series. I, w- I thought you were going to say potentially because you just saw the Diamondbacks, uh, the Diamondbacks being dangerous for the Dodgers, given the Dodgers starting pitching issues. What do you think? Well, Dodgers are similar to the Braves. You know, the starting pitching has been in shambles from day one. And but it's interesting talking to Dave Roberts. 
he is so comfortable with the fact that he's had to mix and match more. You know, when Trey Turner was over there, he's like, here's the lineup, right? But now, you know, from six on, he'll just like, okay, I'll double switch, I'll switch. He kind of likes the options when he bullpens games. I don't think he's like that out of sorts with that that structure. Uh, but they're yeah, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable because the D-backs in a series where you got this day off, you have Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, who are like a one-two punch. And now if this was 12 years ago, I'd say, oh, well, those guys are going to go eight and then you just need your closer. But they're, they're really not. They're going to go six. And in Gallon, you know, he's a phenomenal pitcher. He's pretty efficient. But the six, seven innings. So you still have to close. And the D-backs bullpen was unconscious in Milwaukee, like absolutely at another level. I think it's hard to replicate that. Like that was a – they were just perfect. They really were. And, and uh, it's hard. That's not their strength. And so they have some young players who like Corbin Carroll, amazing. So I think that they they seem pretty comfortable. And I don't know what's going to happen to Gabby Moreno, their young catcher, who really became a leader so quickly this season. He's offensively he gets it done. What he, he threw out the most runners, caught stealing percentage of anyone in baseball. Is he playing? Is he not? That's a big deal in in Arizona too. So. Um, but yeah, I think looking at all these series, anyone can beat anyone. That's what I love about it. Uh, I think it's really one of those years where you see like, I don't know, you know, twins, everybody can find a way to win. And that's what makes this, uh, really interesting this year. Who's going to be the biggest star in this round among the eight teams, the player who's going to stand out the most is dominating the uh, postseason stage. There's so many. I'll tell you mine. I got strong one and that is Carlos Correa who for me yeah. is the closest thing that I've seen to Derek Jeter in terms of how he handles October. Yeah. And he's had some bumps in the past, uh, certainly, but this guy, the plays he made in Minnesota this past yeah. series, woo. I mean, it was like, you know, teleportation type of, you know, thinking, um, look, you have the MVP race in the NL is really, really compelling. And when you look at whether Mookie Betts, cause I look at Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr. And what I see different about those two is, Ronald Lacuna Jr. is like a baseball talent. <clears throat> He's just a baseball talent. He is like to the point where, you know, just, you know, n- another level is not a cliche. It's just that he's seeing things and playing this game with his ability that just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, it's a little Otani-esque. So when Otani went down, the guy I looked in the paper every day, quote-unquote paper, was Ronald Lacuna Jr. What did he do? Stealing bases. I mean, how do you hit 40 home runs? And so, therefore, you can't steal a base when you hit a home run and then steal 70 bases. It's like, it makes no sense. But when I think of Mookie Betts, I think of a savant. I think of a genius. I think of like, you know, Mozarts or something. Like, that's Mookie Betts. That's his, that's his greatness. But yeah, he's got ability, of course. But it's like he's, he's like thinking like in four dimensions. And that's what's fun about it because there's an intelligence and an instinct and, a, and a, just a personality that makes Mookie Betts playing on a stage by himself. Acuna is like just the greatest talent of the sport, but Mookie Betts is like a guy that transcends baseball and goes into like, you know, philosophy or quantum mechanics. That like, that's what I'm enjoying about these. So my pick has to be those guys, you know, I mean, Acuna Jr. has a great series. It's hard to say that the Phillies would win, but that's the guy that may, he has so much to prove. And the best thing that happened to Acuna Jr. was him getting hurt because he gained a certain appreciation of his ability every single day. And he put in the work that it took to get back. And then once you go through rehab and you do it to get back, you don't ever forget that lesson. You're like, there's no way I'm going back to that. 
And that's how he's played. And he's he's just going to, this is the stage where he wants to put the exclamation point. I mean, he wasn't there for the World Series. So their victory a couple of years ago. So uh, anyway, that's what I'm looking at. And I think he's going to be the star that shines. Give me the American League team that's under the most pressure as this round begins. Ooh, that's a good one there. Most pressure. Well, I don't think it's... I think it's Taylor's Orioles. Yeah, I mean, it's a... That's probably true because Texas is really good. And Bruce Bochy, he's going to like pull some sort of rabbit out of his back pocket or something. You're like, oh, I didn't think about that because that's Bruce Bochy. Um, you know, the Orioles, it, what's not fair about that is this team is pretty young. And, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero getting picked off right against the Twins. Oh, uh, it's like, okay, I get it. But when you actually strip away all this, these guys, like they're younger than I was when I got to the big leagues. These guys are are young. The Orioles have like the, the first round pick from 19, 20, 21, 22, probably 27 on that team. Like they're, they're like 12 years old and they're really <laughs> good and they're really good and they, they've earned it. And they're like, like Rutschman Henderson, they, they play it like, they're just like calm. They just play at a level that you're like, okay, they're veterans. But I think you, the bandwidth is important for the Orioles. So yeah, it would be disappointing because they won all those games. But you can see that there is a learning curve here. And one of the learning curves is like, what happens when you play in these big stages now? Uh, you'll find out. Corbin Carroll didn't care. He got <laughs> Corbin Carroll's like, whatever, this is what I do. I'm chilling and I'm just going to play. And that, that might be the Orioles, but it might not. It might be one of those guys that's not quite as, as ready for it and has to adjust. And all of a sudden you look up and you're down 2-0. Taylor, give me a quick thought. Do you feel like the Orioles are the team most under pressure in this round in the American League? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like the Astros, is they, they, they don't have any pressure on them. They've been there, done that. <laughs> uh, the Rangers surging right now, you know, playing with house money. You know, they lost the AL West, but, you know, they're, it, it's all in front of them right now. The Orioles, they, they made it through the AL East, and now it's here. It's, this is the big stage, mm -hmm. and they got to perform. I, you know, it's a lot of questions. They've no, no one's really done it on their roster, so we'll see. National League team most under pressure, and I'm playing right into uh, where you are, Doug, I think. There's no doubt, especially with what get, happened in last year's playoffs. I feel like if the Braves, you know, if uh, the Phillies post three runs in the first inning against the Braves today, you're going you're gonna to feel like the pressure multiplied by the minute, yes? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, I, as I mentioned, all the years I chased the Braves, it was like, it was, it's, you could take it like an aberration. Oh, okay, the Phillies got us in a series. That's kind of weird. But now it's like, they get you twice. You're like, I don't know. Now something turned. And Anthopolis has, you know, maneuvered really well to bring in all the talent. And uh, and he is one of the best in the game. But when you say, you know, you have a historic offensive season and you still have Spencer Strider and, and some good pitching, uh, you know, you are expected to win. So you feel like the Phillies play with like relaxation and <laughs> they're like, ah, whatever, you know, we're just going to bash you and that's what's going to happen. So they seem pretty chill. Uh, I, I still say the Dodgers are still in that conversation because mm. they're going to, you know, you look at the Braves and in, in, in that history and it's really, really hard to win a World Series. But eventually you say, well, these guys are great, 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 but they only won this one. You know, they only won 2020 or that, you know, and Astros and whatever. So, I don't say that's pressure, but it does start to color that legacy. I think Dave Dave Roberts has been one of the great managers of our time. I think he gets doesn't quite get the credit, but there's always this lingering, oh, you didn't win enough times with as good as your team was. 
So there's probably a pressure in that. And uh, that's why, you know, when you get out there, you got to do it on the field. And uh, that's any of these teams could surprise us. And to me, that's what's making this postseason 2023 really interesting because you're not going to come back and say, oh, the Twins beat the Astros. You know, you're not going to be totally surprised by any series when you get down to the nitty gritty of what's on the field because these all these teams are really talented and for different ways. Before I get your picks from you, I do want to ask what we know specifically about the the Braves pitching staff because and sort of the what's your understanding of the state of each one of these guys. I know Strider had some moments down the stretch where he didn't look quite like himself. Max Freed, you know, Charlie Morton with the the injury issues down the stretch. What do we know about the state of the rotation as we begin this series? It's a little tenuous. Max Freed trying to find out if you know, there, there's contingency plans for game two, which he's, you know, most likely to be pitching in, uh, just given wow. the blisters and issues. So, you know, and that's that's not so far out of whack because you're always having that extra starter on backup, even if, if even if it's a situation where Freed goes two innings because he gets hits around, hit around. So I don't think you're going to have to do anything out of the ordinary per se, but that what that does is open up question marks for game three, and there's just more and more question marks, I think, on, on the starting side. Whereas the Phillies, they just have so many starters. So it's like, oh, oh, you go with Michael Renzo. Oh, you're going to go with this. It's like Ranger Suarez. Like everybody, if you give any of those guys the ball, nobody's going, oh, whoa, whoa they're really messed up. You're just like, okay, it's one of their 10, you know, octopus arms, you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so that's what I worry about. So I'm most interested going in today to the practice sessions and going into game one. What is their roster? What are the, what's the Braves roster going to look like? And I'm very much looking at their starting rotation because that's going to tell a lot about what they think is going to happen and who's the best, you know, matchup. Um, Elder, for example, kind of faltered, you know, he's a young guy. So it just had a tough second half. And is he the guy? I don't know. You know, it's like, so, so they have question marks, but I'm sure mostly they're like, well, we'll just score 12 runs. That's, that's the <laughs> Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I mean, and maybe, and they have so much offense in such a deep lineup that maybe they can hit their way past all those questions. Okay, real quick, give me your picks on each of these series. We'll start out in the American League. You got Twins and Astros. Who comes out of that? Man, I don't. I, I don't think I have an answer for any of these projections. Uh, Twins, Astros. I mean, I'll go with the Astros. I don't know if Dusty Baker's last hurrah. Uh, if he only knows that. I know he would never say it in in front of a season. He'd only do it on the back end of a season. And they're relaxed. Like you said, they're kind of playing with house money right now. So I see them playing really good baseball. Orioles and Rangers. Ooh, man. You know, it's just it's tough. Taylor's on here. I don't want to like go. Maybe I'll maybe I'll jinx the Rangers for him by picking the Rangers because everything <laughs> I pick is usually not going to happen. So I'll say the Rangers. Uh, what I, you know, I've got to see them a lot this year. And Bochi is a true magician, and he deserves like a David Copperfield type of uh, managerial style. Uh, their offense is really scary, and Josh Jung doesn't get enough credit. He is, he is like they always, you know, Bochi says like he's the energy. He stirs everything here. Uh, he's playing like he's twelve, and that's how he plays. And I think you know he's a name you're going to hear in the postseason. He lo- he lives for this stuff. I'm worried about their bullpen. But I asked Bochi the other day when we saw him, I said, I don't really understand. You have 12 guys that throw 100 miles an hour. Like all these throw t- all these bullpens have all these guys that throw 105 
And they're like, oh, our bullpen is our weakness. And I'm just sitting there going, if we had one of these guys in the, in, the, in like 2002, we'd be like, he'd be like the king of Philadelphia. So it's just funny to me. Like, he's like, well, it's execution and guys can hit velocity. So, you know, our oldest Chapman is like, oh, he's struggling. Oh, he only has 106 strikeouts in 50 innings. Yeah, he's really struggling. So I, I just, you know, I don't know why they think everybody has a weak bullpen and yet they have five guys throwing 103. So. You know, but uh, their bullpen is a little bit of their weakness. So they're going to use Andrew Heaney. They're going to use guys like that to go three innings a la Terry Francona. Yeah, Bochy's experience of running a bullpen, such a potentially a big factor for sure. Uh, so you're projecting an all-Texas uh, championship series. <laughs> that would be fun. All right, Diamondbacks and Dodgers. I mean, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Uh, first, I'm worried about Moreno and the impact if he's playing as a catcher. I know it's a young guy, but he's that good. He shuts down running game. Um, Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. After that, there's a lot of questions, and and they put you know Brandon fought in there. He, he gave gave up a lot of hits. He struggled, and it's pretty tough to find like who's that third starter. They may not need him as much. Maybe one game, maybe two, but they, even Gallen and Kelly can't go nine innings, and their bullpen although unconscious in the Brewer series is not a strong point. And the Dodgers, my goodness, the, the offense is just ludicrous. So I still give them the edge, the Dodgers. And the series you're doing, the Braves and the Phillies. Well, can you pick a tie or something? Is it if that's, if that's an option? Like <laughs> I, I wish this series was seven games, Doug. I mean, this, um, this is awesome. I really don't know. Like I, I talked to the Phillies. I was on uh, ABC affiliate talking to them and I said, I really want to see what the Braves do with this roster move. That tells me a lot. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's going to be a game changer on like how they approach their pitching because the Phillies have an advantage on the starting side. Uh, so I don't know if I guess if I had to bet my house, I'd probably bet the Braves because it's safe, but I would have no shock if the Phillies pull this off because, you know, if the, if they get as hot as they did last year, that this team is unstoppable. They're, they're really that good. Well, you and I know that when you hang around a club for a while, then you begin to probably value them more than they are worth. But I will tell you, just being around the Phillies in that Marlins series, I have a hard time seeing who's going to beat them. Like they are on a mission. Zach Wheeler, uh, Aaron Nola, so well rested because the way the coaching staff handled their rotation the last two months, that lineup is going. All these young guys that who were rookies last year, or, you know, first in the postseason, Stott. Boom, uh, you know, I, that team is all, running on all cylinders right now. That, that is a, a great team. So that, uh, for me, would be the pick. All right, Doug, have fun. Uh, I will be listening. I will be watching. That series is going to be amazing. I'm sure you're going to have a great time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fired up about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So here we go. <laughs> This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And on Thursday and today, Sarah is a baseball widow. No baseball to watch. To describe what you did yesterday on a day when you didn't have any playoff games and what, how, how will that shape what you'll be doing today? Oh, my gosh. Well, yesterday, definitely got in some uh, catching up on sleep which was very good. Good to get that opportunity in early October. Kind of a stock up for moving forward. 
and I'll watch the NFL game, of course, and do some prep work, everything else I need to do, but definitely feel weird. I was in bed at like 1.14, which is never, I was in bed actually earlier, but lights were out at 1.14. That never happens here. If you listen to this podcast, you know, I never go to bed before like 3 during the season or anything like that. So I couldn't even remember last time I went to bed that early. So that's a good thing. I'm sure my body is grateful for the two days without baseball, but my mind and my heart certainly are not. Well, you know, you know you'll, you'll have to struggle through it just today. But then, uh, you know, starting on Saturday, man, we, we got some great series coming up. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is five. So I mentioned some uh, postseason trends. Uh, or I may not have because I think I was going to do that on Tuesday. Tuesday didn't work out for me due to the aforementioned sleeping. Anyway, so I'm here to update us on some postseason trends so far this postseason. The five is four. Teams out homer their opponents. They're five and zero this postseason. They went twenty-two and six last postseason, and twenty-five and two the year before that. We talked about this a lot. Yes, I know logically. If you hit a home run, you're more likely to win the game. You just scored at least one run. But what this shows is how crucial it is have that home run hitter in the postseason when runs are at a premium and so many end up being scored on one swing of the bat in that way. And then one other stat I want to mention with regard to these trends is teams to score first or six and two so far this postseason. And the two are of course the Brewers or the Diamondbacks, however you'd like to look at it, that I talked about yesterday with those two multi-run comeback for the Diamondbacks. So, so far, aside from the Brewers, teams that get ahead are staying ahead. Number two. Number two is one. So we have two very uh, decorated postseason pitchers going in game one on Saturday, and I was kind of looking up a note about Kershaw and it led me to Verlander, and I knew they'd both be on this list. So Justin Verlander is making his 13th Game 1 start tomorrow mm. on Saturday. That will be the most in postseason history. Now Clayton Kershaw will be making his 12th, which will tie John Lester for second most. And the researcher in me is very grateful that Verlander plays first and Kershaw plays second. So I don't have to say, oh, Kershaw ties for the most. And then a couple hours later say, just kidding, JB is in first. Luckily, JB will set that record first. And of course, the next thing you think of, because this is all about cumulative numbers, is, okay, what about just starts overall? It will be Verlander's 35th postseason start. That will tie Tom Glavin for second most in postseason history. He's getting really, really close to Andy Pettit's 44. I mean, I remember looking at this a few years ago, even back in 17 with them, uh, when he was on the Astros then and the last few years and thinking, okay, that record is safe. I don't know now. Not sure it is. Number one. 
Number one is 41. So that's just a reminder because we have been talking about these wildcard teams and rightfully so for a while. So I wanted to make sure we talked about the teams that had some days off, right? So we have the Dodgers and Astros and the prior note, and now we have the Braves. Ron Acuna Jr., 41 home runs. The most at the layoff spot in a single season ever. First guy to hit 40 at the layoff spot. So in case you're curious, looking ahead, the most in a single postseason at the layoff spot is six. Kyle Schwarber did it last year, George Springer in 2017, and Lenny Dykstra in 1993. We'll see how many he's able to hit, but I mean... That's the thing with these Braves, and it goes back to the first number, right? I was talking about how great of a situation you're in. If you're able to out-homer your opponent, if there's any team set up to out-homer their opponent, it is these 2023 Atlanta Braves who hit 307 home runs, 50 more than any other team. All right, you ready for an impossible question? Oh, yeah, of course. All right, so I asked Doug Glanville this. Who will be, and we always uh, know, as Reggie Jackson, I think, well-defined uh, the playoffs and World Series stage, you know, as the is the biggest stage in baseball, which is how he got the nickname Mr. October. Uh, this round, who's going to be the biggest star? Oh, my gosh. I mean, as you said, totally impossible because there are so many stars in this series from Acuna, I mean, how about a guy like Michael Harris the second, and then you Schwarber, you Harper. I think I'm gonna go with Trey Turner. I mean, I'm wow. so in okay. I'm so in on storylines. I'm so in on the emotions and everything else. He's been so good since those ovations August fourth, as we've talked about ad nauseum. And I just remember, I mean, I was there, I watched every game he played in the WBC. He was on another level. WBC Trey Turner, I think is going to be what we see in the postseason moving forward. We are now we're talking on uh, our broadcast, the first two games of the playoffs, he stolen 38 consecutive bases going back to last season, if you include the postseason. And I think that's something where he's able to really be a game changer. We know how fast he is. We also know how much he picks those spots. You can tell it by the fact that he hasn't been caught, right? He isn't running with this sort of percentage play in mind. And so, I mean, maybe it's that I love to see and as an extension of all of the love that the Phillies fans have showered him with, but I'm going to go with him. Uh, I'm going with Carlos Correa, who I mentioned to Doug, just because I just think he's so comfortable now in October and he's done it so often. Like, it feels like that there's going to be two separate wars going on for Dusty Baker and the Astros. One will be against the Minnesota Twins and the others will be against uh, Carlos. And I think at some point, Dusty goes, uncle, we're not dealing with him. He's, we know he's going to kill the ball. We know he's going to make plays. We're just going to try to avoid him as much as possible. And I am picking the Astros to win that series, but I fully expect that Correa is going to put on a show against his former team. What do you think? 
I love that. And for the record, I thought we were talking about phrase Phillies. That's why I went with Trey, but I'll stand by it like the Phillies fans stood by him. But I love that. I mean, I'm so excited to see Correa against that former team. We saw in those two series, I mean, this is what he does. He's such an incredible postseason player. Rises to the occasion. This is the guy who had plantar fasciitis, was injured toward the end of the year, and he looks totally fine. He's making incredible plays. He's playing the ball. He's doing everything. So I think he will be, you know, pointing to his wash on his hand. Yeah, what time is it? Like he was doing with those Astros home runs. And I can't wait to see it. All right, Sarah. Good to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Russell. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. .com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or at his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? Buster, we've got four games coming up tomorrow, so I am very, very excited. It's October, and uh, all is well. How are you? I'm doing well. My hearing is still recovering from those two games in Philadelphia. I know you were at the the game on Tuesday night. Uh, Just from your perspective, sitting in the stands, how loud was it? Well, Buster, I have been to, uh, I've been going to postseason games since 1977. Countless games in countless stadiums dating back to the Bronx back in the, you know, the the 70s, the 90s, World Series, all that it was rocking out there. I mean, that place that place was involved with every pitch, uh, cheering at the right time. It's not just people standing up for the sake of standing up. So the decibel levels in South Philly were kind of off the charts the other night, and the same applied last year. I've been asked about it when I've done radio hits, and I talked about how it felt like I was standing in front of the speakers at a concert, where, <laughs> like, when I walked out of there, you know, after game one, I, I did feel like my body was like recovering its hearing to some degree. Like it, it was significant how loud it was. The closest thing that I can remember, and you were there for these games at Old Yankee Stadium, you know, ninety nine and two thousand, when it would it would the crowd would be so fired up that you could see the outfield stand sway. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in that ballpark, that was the closest thing that I can remember to, to what we experienced there. I didn't cover those series in Minnesota in the Metrodome in 1987 and 1991. A lot of people talked about those crowds being super loud. Yeah. Buster, the old Yankee Stadium, for those of us who remember, and it's already been 15 years since that place was wow. in play. Um, but that upper deck had such a steep pitch. It held the sound just uh, in such a tremendous way. It was an incredibly intimidating atmosphere, as you've heard and I've heard, for uh, for opposing ballplayers. But in Philly, this is almost like a college football crowd. And I will say this, and I had mentioned last week, I went to an Eagles game against Washington on Sunday and then Tuesday to game one against Miami. Um, at Citizens Bank Park. It's like a college sports atmosphere here in Philly. It's really pretty amazing, especially for such a big city. I talk about this all the time, having arrived here from New York last year where you've got split allegiances between Giants, Jets, Mets, Yankees. Kind of depends on where you live geographically. Maybe, Maybe not as much as it used to between that sort of northern suburbs, Long Island split. But Philly, the sixth biggest city in the United States, all sports all the time here. Just shoot it into my veins. It's amazing. Yeah, and I love the connection between the fans and the players. And I, you know, the, with Brooks Robinson recently passing away, I mentioned, uh, I think last week, how it feels like that there's a connection between the city and the players that resembles what we used to see with the Orioles in Baltimore. Uh, that it goes beyond, yeah, they wear our laundry, Right. Uh, you know, those Yankee teams that I covered, I, I mean, those guys will be iconic in New York forever. The, you know, the Jeters and the Pettits and all that. But the season ends and the players disperse. It just it feels like that the the connection, uh, you know, and maybe it's because Bryce Harper, you know, is the leader of the group embracing Philadelphia so much. It's just different. Yeah, I think so. And you've got, it's an interesting mix of players. I know you've talked about this, but uh, the young guys who ran through this crucible and came so close last year. Yeah. Um, Brandon Marsh and Stott and Bohm, uh, I'm thinking of uh, it, it. Homegrown guys, you know, for the most part, City has taken them to heart. It's a weird time, Buster. We, we don't have Brooks Robinson playing 23 seasons for one team anymore or Carl Yastrzemski. Um, so I think fans, um, particularly in certain cities, really appreciate what they've got when they've got it in a way that we probably couldn't have years and years ago. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So Buster, this stadium played host to six World Series over the course of its 39 seasons. It was arguably the best of the multi-purpose cookie cutter concrete donut venues that popped up across America in the 1960s and 70s, and it hosted its only All-Star game just five weeks after it opened. Game time temperature was a sizzling 105 degrees that day. Wow. St. Louis's Bush Memorial Stadium made its debut on May 12, 1966. Future Hall of Famer Lou Brock singled off future Hall of Famer Phil Necro in the 12th inning, and 46,000 Cardinals fans went home happy for the first of many winning occasions. The idea of a downtown stadium in St. Louis dated back to the late 1950s. Civic leaders coalesced around a plan to construct what would become a $24 million project, and they hired famed architect Edward Durrell Stone to design the place, which was an unusual commission for something as unelevated as a stadium. 
Stone had previously created New York's Radio City Music Hall and Washington's Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, and his details for Bush were both thoughtful and functional. Playing off the new Gateway Arch, located just a few blocks away, Stone drew upon the ballpark's signature visual element, a 96-arch crown of arches roofline that encircled the structure. He also gave the stadium an open and airy feel, which was noteworthy for an enclosed multi-purpose facility. This helped Cardinals fans deal with St. Louis's brutal summer heat. The design was praised for its lightness and grace, a first-class solution that teemed with artistic integrity. Construction took a little less than two years, and it was largely financed with private money. It covered 31 blocks, and it helped St. Louis's moribund downtown business district revive. The Cardinals won the World Series in their first full season at Bush, and that set the tone for their nearly four-decade run there. The NFL's Cardinals played there for 22 seasons, and the Rams played four home games there in 1995 while they were waiting for their new downtown dome to open. Their home opener at Bush was attended by 59,335 fans, which was the largest crowd ever to witness a sporting event in St. Louis at that time. When the Rams moved out, the Cardinals remodeled the ballpark, but the opening of Baltimore's Camden Yards and the move toward retro-style baseball-specific ballparks had already signaled the death knell for Bush, even though it was relatively new. The ball club wanted more revenue and greater amenities, and plans for a next-generation stadium were launched in the late 90s. In 2001, local officials and the Cardinals agreed to a plan that would replace Bush Memorial Stadium with today's Bush Stadium. You and I, Buster, we were there for the 2004 World Series, and I remember walking around the construction site of the new place, even as history was unfolding at the old one. 2005 marked the ballpark's final season. I designed the logo that the Cardinals wore on their uniforms that year, and nearly four decades of history gave way to the future. But today, Buster, we remember the old Bush Memorial Stadium and its elegant crown of arches, and it is this week's Forgotten Field. Yeah, you were there in 2004, your beloved Red Sox, ending decades of frustration, winning the World Series. Give me a moment that will stick out to you uh, from that night. Oh, wow, Buster, uh, this is the moment. So Red Sox come in, they sweep a very, very good Cardinals team, of course. And I am wearing Red Sox garb, and people are coming up to me and saying, we're so happy for you guys. If it wasn't us, we're very happy that it was you. A very different Red Sox era. So that Midwest nice, people were just so gracious, Buster. And I remember, and I still have it, a, um, a, a an usher uh, letting us Red Sox fans down at the, the front railing, down by the third base dugout, scooping up little handfuls of dirt and handling, handing all of it to us. And uh, that handful of dirt is directly behind me over here. No kidding. Yep. Wow. That's pretty I got good. a little shrine. Where does that rank among all your artifacts that you have? As you and I talk, you're on Zoom. I can see all things. Your favorite thing that you have. And where would uh, that rank among your favorite things? <laughs> Well, okay, so you can see, and everybody's listening, so this is not necessarily relevant for everybody, but you can see it. Uh, right above my finger, this is a Bush Stadium, current Bush Stadium logo. I designed that. So this is one of the uh, uh, cast stone pieces from there. Directly underneath that, a piece of the Red Sox bench from game four and 
Game three as well in 2004. Beneath that is a ball. Buster, I was sitting in upper deck in the right field. Jason Azeringhausen is warming up. He gets ready to pitch the uh, the eighth inning, I'm pretty sure, for the Cardinals. In front of me is history unfolding. I can't believe the Red Sox are just a few outs away from finally breaking the uh, the curse, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Isringhausen finishes his warm-ups. He tosses this ball, and it's just coming at me really, really slowly. And I reach over with my left hand. I am right-handed, and I spear this ball. So that is right there. So that's number one. The dirt is next to it. A little shrine commemorating what's going to be 20 years next year. That's hard to believe. Man, that's a, I, I, I knew you would have, you would have some great memories from that time. You were, you were so fired up. All right, let's get to this week's quiz, uh, Bruce. So you are stepping in for Sarah Abbott this week, or, you know, at this point, I, I'm kind of wondering, cause you've had enough, enough success where you might consider breaking away, you know, like you're going to become the XFL of the weekly quiz here soon. Ooh, I mean, I was gonna say, I'm happy to be a utility player. I'm happy just to be, be called off the bench and, uh, <laughs> and and be called upon when needed. But I mean, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having my own thing. But you know, you've what? been listening to way too many post game interviews during the postseason. Okay, yes. Yes. <laughs> I can agree with you on that. I can agree with you on that. All, All right. right. Well, we we've got to figure this out then because Buster with 11 wins, Taylor with eight, Sarah uh, and Bruce pinch hitting for Sarah with nine. So we've got a uh, we've got a contest here. So here we go. Week number 30. Which one of these was never the team nickname for the Braves when they played in Boston? Was it A, the Pilgrims? Was it B, the Bees? Was it C, the Rustlers? Or was it D, the Bean Eaters? Never a nickname for the Braves when they played in Boston. Pilgrims, Bees, Rustlers, or Bean Eaters? You know, what's interesting, Todd, is that I find myself so often thinking your answers are A. I, 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 that's occurred to me like in the last two months. I'm like, I'm always like initially my first thought is A. Uh, and I don't know if there's something in your design. I'm going to have to do my some study of your, your quizzes, going to do a little algorithm. But I'm going with A this week. What do you got, Taylor? Damn, I'm going A too. Bruce? I'm going to go C. Well, the correct answer is... A. Ah. <laughs> so, uh, Bruce, the magic is gone. Yep. But Buster, to your point, I am very conscious of varying the order of these, and I have this very colorful Expel spreadsheet in front of me, color-coded. It's got yellow and orange and green and, and all that, and uh, I wouldn't say every week I vary it, but I do consciously vary it, and it's primarily because our friend Sarah is, you know, at one point she was all over C. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to go C. She would say week after week. Well, and so it's very. That's why Bruce went with C, I think, I, that she, yeah, she I, was under orders to go with C. So he doesn't have to take any blame for picking the wrong one. He said, Sarah, I, I'm doing what, you know, I'm yeah, going I'm, with the, my coach's command here. I'm keeping the tradition alive. Yeah. Okay. Todd, before you go, give me 15 seconds. Who you got in this epic series? Ollie versus Frazier, Braves, Phillies. Well, I'm going to say Phillies. It's not only because I live here, Buster, but I think, and we've talked about this before, every once in a while, no disrespect to the Braves, of course, a tremendous team championship pedigree only a couple of years ago, but uh, teams sometimes have to lose a year in a year before they win. And uh, we saw it in 04 with the Red Sox. It could not have happened without the 03 Red Sox. We saw it with the Cubs recently. We saw it with the Astros. 97 Yankees created the 98 Yankees. Yeah, Yankees I mean, knocked out by Cleveland in the playoffs. 
the players go home in the wintertime mad and they come back the next year with a vengeance. Well, how about the 96 Yankees having lost to Seattle the first time they were in the playoffs since 1981? They lose in 95 in a heartbreaking fashion. They come back kind of unexpectedly in 96. So anyway, I'm going to take the Phillies because I think there's some unfinished business there. Yeah, it's a sentimental choice as well. It's going to be a great, great, great series. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Good to see you. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Wait, wait, before we get to the Bleacher Tweets from listeners, I I just want to see if – did you see the Fangraphs projections – uh, for the remaining eight teams and their chances for winning the World Series. Have you have you taken note of these? Buster, I do nothing but take note of Fangraph's disrespect of the Baltimore Orioles. It is shocking <laughs> to me. Now, I don't think that they should have the best odds, but lower than the Diamondbacks? Lower than the rate? Like, what are we doing here? They won the AL East. I mean, as of last week, Buster, when they did their power rankings, it was, it was Braves and then it was Rays. The team that didn't win the AL East, the the Blue Jays were ahead of them. They kept they they like tier the rankings here. They kept sticking the Orioles with the dang Cubs who vomited all over themselves in September. Like, what are we talking about? They're like, so, so the Braves have the best odds to win the World Series according to this: twenty six point eight percent. Astros are two seventeen point two percent. Dodgers, Phillies are fourth. The Twins are fifth. Rangers, Diamondbacks, and yes, the Orioles at five point seven percent. And through your feelings of disrespect and rage, is it also a part of you that that sort of comprehends the fact this is all a mathematical formula? They spit the data in, or they 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 input the data, and these are the numbers that come out. Right? It's not like they're sitting there coming up with an evil formula to disrespect your team. Maybe they are, Buster. We don't know that. And and if they, (laughs) regardless, throw the computer in the ocean. It's broken. All right, come up with a new (laughs) algorithm. Gosh. All right. Oh, I'm, I'm heated now. Um, let's get a tweet here from Bruce Davis, BG Davis 76. Shout out to all the Bruce's out there. He writes in, what happened to the American League beast? Yeah. Uh, they question. got trounced. Right? <laughs> or, I mean, it, for me, it's a little bit like uh, being a Vanderbilt guy. It's when the SEC doesn't prevail in college football. You're like, oh, man, what happened there? That's kind of the way it's feeling about the American League East right now. And the Orioles are the last team standing trying to hold up the pride for the whole division. I ain't got no division pride. Division pride, conference pride, that's all so dumb. I'm just... I'm taking solace in the fact that we made it further than everyone else. No, no matter what Every happens. college football season I root for, once we get into the playoffs, the Alabamas, the Georges, I, I do have a hard time rooting for Tennessee. Mm. Uh, you know, all the other SEC teams besides Tennessee I root for. I'd literally never. I, I hope Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, I want them to lose every game forever. I want the Yankees to lose every game forever. I would I would never okay. root for another team like that, Buster. You should, no, you, should. you live on Bitter Boulevard. Uh, it's true. It's true. I, I have a whole building on it. Uh, let's go to PK Steinberg, our guy. He writes in the new PK. Ra- the new Rays ballpark only needs seating for about nine thousand people. So why is the cost so high? But um, <laughs> that was a good. One. Yeah, Mark Topkin sent out a story yesterday. Tweeted out a story by some of his colleagues saying that when they actually did the the study, and I have not read the story, but when they did the study of the finances, that it's actually potentially going to cost twice as much as what's being portrayed. <laughs> Shocker. Have fun with yeah, that Tampa. All the all right. the Tampa fans. And by the way, that that would that, that, it's not like the Rays plan would be just you know, very different than a lot of the plans we've seen through the years. Yeah, you know, cost overruns. I think is uh, 
I, you know, that's redundant when you talk about stadiums. Yeah, yeah, that's America for you. Also, also shout out to all the Rays fans crying about how long it takes to drive to the stadium is their excuses to why they couldn't get the game. How about wow. every city in America has traffic? Get over it. Uh, yeah, he's taking shots at another American League East team. He's living his words right here. <laughs> uh, Spence, Texas baseball fan, writes in, which is the most exciting interdivisional matchup, Braves, Phillies, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, or a potential Astros Rangers ALCS. Yeah, I'm fired up for Astros uh, Rangers ALCS potentially. I think I'm going to wind up covering that one if that uh, if that comes to fruition. But I'm sorry, Phillies Braves, as I've been saying the last couple of days, that is a battle of heavyweights. And that that is going to be awesome to watch these two lineups just pounding away at each other. Amy Chapman writes in, has Major League Baseball ever investigated GM before about improper use of the IL? I kind of remember you talking about teams that you thought might be bending the use of the IL. Something is weird here. Every team does this in every sport. I don't know. Every team does this. Yeah, it's bizarre. Every team, which is why, you know, as I say, um, you know, I I don't know what's spurring this. I'm going to be trying to make phone calls today and and trying to uh, to get behind it because, as I mentioned to Doug, maybe some player complained or an agent complained said my 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 client didn't want to be put on the injured list and the Mets put him on anyway. He wasn't really hurt, but you know that happens. Those things happen so often that it, it wouldn't lead. I, I don't think any executive to resign. That's the part yeah. that I'm like, no, 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 no. Which is why you know there was talk a lot of talk in baseball yesterday that. You know, Billy didn't resign. He was basically given the choice: you can either quit or be fired. And I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, it, but it doesn't make any sense. This to me is like putting someone in prison for jaywalking. You know, that's the baseball <laughs> equivalent of this. Yeah. Because it happens so often. And let's face it: you can find, as I was saying to Doug, you could find injuries in all of these guys: scar tissue, you know, inflammation in joints. Because that's the that's the nature of the sport. All of these guys are dealing with stuff. It's very strange. I'm very curious. Buster's on the case. I can't wait to hear what you dig up here. Uh, okay. Let's do one more here. Mike DeKalb, he writes in, which AL, AL Central team has the brighter immediate future that their fans can look forward to, Kansas City or the Chicago White Sox? Kansas City. Kansas City played well down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Right, it feels like the White Sox are still have to dig themselves out and and sort of get a restart, and you know we'll see if uh, uh, you know Chris Getz keeps Pedro Grafol beyond 2024. It just it it feels like the Royals though they've already hit rock bottom and now they're starting to climb. And, and the way they played down the stretch, especially Bobby Wood Jr., a lot of hope there. You also got the, uh, I feel like there's swirling rumors about a potential relocation for the White Sox, too. You know, stadium stuff. Uh, you know, you, you don't like to do yeah, that. Right, as a fan right. Base. Um, all right, Buster, real quick, before we go, what what's your thoughts on this game one uh, matchup with the, with the Orioles and the Rangers tomorrow? I need, I need your pick today. I'm going to pick the Orioles, but I'd oh, say that the Rangers are like the last team uh, that if I'm the Orioles, I'd necessarily, well, I, I wouldn't want to face the Astros either because they're experienced. I, I, you know, I was on Kornheiser's show this morning and I just mentioned the Rangers feel like the team, they're like the, you know, the group in elementary school that took your lunch money. Like they're, <laughs> they're just like, everybody is so serious about their work on that team. And if you're the Orioles, like, you know, you're hoping that the, the Camden Yards crowd, 
uh, becomes a big plus for the team and you can intimidate the other team. This is not a team that's going to be intimidated. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, they're scary with their offense. and It'll be really interesting. I mean, the X factor is how all these young uh, Orioles players handle the, the spotlight, mm-hmm. handle the big moment. We saw the Marlins have all these young players. They were flat. They didn't play yeah. very well in Philadelphia. We'll see what happens with the Orioles. Yeah, I'm I'm buoyed for at least for tomorrow by the fact that Kyle Bradish. I mean, he's he had the second best ERA in the second half uh, in the AL. Um, he's looked awesome. He had his best start, um, not his previous one, but two ago. He pitched eight innings. Um, and they played in a lot of close games, you know. And I feel like that is the sort of thing. It's not it's not like they played in a lot of close games and they're bad. It's the you know they they have that experience of how to win. You know, when the narrows are 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 uh, are thin, you know. So. I'm yeah. feeling okay about it, at least for game one, and maybe even a little bit game two. But I think the pitching, the starting pitching matchup, I, I like our bullpen a little bit more. Um, that crowd's going to be fired up, so let's let's go O's, baby. Nice. Well, good luck to you. You're gonna. It's going to be an interesting weekend. On Monday, you're either going to be the happiest guy in the world, or you're going to be un- <laughs> unbelievably depressed. Yeah. Okay. Living on Bitter Boulevard, putting up a second house, you know, Airbnb. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. That's it for this week. Today, uh, thanks to Taylor, thanks to Bruce, Sarah, Doug Glanville, Todd Radom. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day. We'll be back on Monday with another podcast. I'm going to be in Bristol, be working on baseball tonight, all of next week.